Hi, this is Ivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Claire Lombardo is the author of the novel, The Most Fun We Ever Had. Claire is a novelist, teacher, and post-it enthusiast. Her first book, The Most Fun We Ever Had, was an instant New York Times bestseller and has been translated or is forthcoming in over a dozen languages. The novel is being adapted for a series to be written by Claire and co-produced by Amy Adams and Laura Dern, which I'm realizing now I forgot to ask her about, so sorry about that. Claire is a graduate of the University of Illinois, Chicago, and the Iowa Writers Workshop. Her short fiction has appeared in, among other things, Playboy, Barrel House Magazine, Little Fiction, and Long Form. Her story, I Only Want to Talk About the Nice Things, was one of 2016's Best of the Net and was number one on Long Form's 2015 fiction list. Prior to writing The Most Fun We Ever Had, Claire spent several years working with homeless children and families in Chicago. She has also been a dog walker, a nanny, a temp, and a communications aide at a woodwind nonprofit. Think flute. She is not herself a woodwind musician. A native of Oak Park, Illinois, she now lives in Iowa City, Iowa, with her dog, Renee. Welcome, Claire. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So tell me about the most fun we ever had, the process of writing that book, how that became a book, and like take me up to today. Oh, sure. Uh, take your time. Yeah, so, oh, okay. <laughs> I'll just settle in. <laughs> the tall order. I'll just talk a lot. No, the most fun we ever had. Do you want me to describe the book or do you want me to sure. just talk about Well, the- yes. So, for people who don't know what it's about, give a short description. Sure. So the most fun we ever had is a, it's a multi-generational family story about the Sorensen family who lived in the Chicago suburbs. And the book follows this family, this couple and their four sort of errant daughters for over 50 years or almost 50 years. And so at its core, it's sort of about this ironclad marriage between these two people. And then it's sort of all the things that that come from that. So that is the, that's my, my elevator pitch. And so, yeah, I started writing this book, gosh, I don't know, nine years ago. It's been a really long time. I was 24, eight years ago. So I, yeah, I was working on this book when I was in graduate school to be a therapist. So I thought, and it was so sort of all consuming and the thing that I cared about so much that I ended up dropping out of, out of graduate school. And I ended up very, very fortunately at the Iowa Writers Workshop a couple of years later and yeah, spent the next few years working on this book. And then I met my editor at Doubleday and here we are. Yeah, it's, it takes a really, you know this as well. It takes a really long time to publish a book. It is a long process, thankfully a, a fairly entertaining and, and pleasant one. But yeah, so the book came out almost two years ago. It's coming out in paperback uh, in a few weeks, which is really kind of exciting to breathe new life into it. So yeah, it's been a long eight or so years. <laughs> yeah. And how did you arrive? How did you come up with those char- the characters in the family and decide that that was the type of first novel you wanted to write? You know, uh, this this novel started out as a short story about one of the characters, Violet, who is this woman who has placed a child for adoption very young and then 
kind of curates this ostensibly picture-perfect life for herself. She has two little kids. She and her husband live on the North Shore of Chicago, and she has everything is kind of arranged to very specific specifications. And then the kid comes back as a teenager, and I was really, really interested in that dynamic in life kind of getting in the way as it as it often does, but specifically in, in that way. And then from there, I just sort of started, her family kind of took over and I became really obsessed with her. She had sort of a larger than life sister and then these parents who were sort of crazily in love with each other and slightly more accepting of the, the messiness of life. So the book just kept growing. I'm from a big family. This is not an autobiographical novel by any stretch, but I'm very sort of interested in family dynamics and always have been. So it, it kind of evolved from there, kind of my my obsession with other people, I guess. Yeah. What number child are you of how many? I am the youngest of five. Oh, wow. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of, you know, I was a very quiet kid. And I, I remember one of my sisters saying once, like, I was always like the, you know, I was always very quiet and not ever saying much, but she was like, we knew that you were listening. <laughs> like there was, you know, something, something going on. So yeah, I've always just been, I was fascinated by my older sisters. And so, yeah, yeah, that certainly influences me as a, as a writer. And are you, are you close with your siblings? I am. Yeah. All of them in different ways. And I feel about them the way I sort of feel about my characters, which is that I, you know, I like them all to different degrees on different days, <laughs> which I think is the case for most people. I hope that's the case for, for most people, but yes, yes, they've all been, they're all writerly and creative in different ways. So it's been nice to have, you know, readers in my, in my family as well. So that's great. I feel like so much advice people give is sort of like getting a group of readers or like-minded people. But if it comes baked into your own family, how great is that? Sure. Right. That's, <laughs> yeah. It's very convenient. <laughs> and tell me a little more about Iowa because I hear so much about it and it just seems like, I don't know, so magical and, you know, what is it like exclusive? What is it like being there? Yeah. So it's, I was so terrified when I got here because I had heard, you know, all sorts of stories as well. And I also felt just like massive imposter syndrome when I got here. Like it, it was surely a mistake that I had gotten in. And I remember my first day of workshop, I sat, I was in uh, the novelist, Ethan Kanan, who later became my mentor and like a very good friend. This was not because of him, but I was, it was my first workshop ever. And I was sitting in the corner of the room and I thought I was going to have a panic attack. Like I just became convinced <laughs> that I was going to like die. And so henceforth sat by the door for the rest of the semester, <laughs> lest I, I passed out. I did not, but yeah, I was terrified when I got here and it ended up being such a wonderful, I moved back very recently. It's a really wonderful place to be a writer. It's this, the community of Iowa City sort of at large is very creative, very writerly, very, you know, people who are supportive of, of creative ideas and, and creative work. And the workshop especially was just, I had the most lovely group of classmates who it was not very competitive. It was very supportive. And you know, I had a number of Deshaun Winslow who had a, a book come out of uh, Regina Porter. Several of my classmates had books come out, you know, within like a month of me. And so it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it was a really sort of magical, magical couple of years. Yeah. Hence my, my coming back here. Yeah. Do you have a history of panic attacks or was that the first one or? No, it was this completely like out of, out of nowhere. I'm a highly anxious person, but I think I was just so overwhelmed to sort of, and I described it to my mom, my mom's a nurse and I described it to her later and she was like, yeah, that sounds like, you know, classic panic attack symptoms, but I was fine. And thankfully Ethan Cannon is also a physician. So I guess he could have <laughs> intervened if I, if I needed it, but yeah, I was just so, so nervous. And so, you know, sharing creative work is such an intimate 
scary thing. And it was not something I had ever done before because I had studied, I was an English major, but I was a rhetoric major. So I'd never like given my fiction to other people. And suddenly it was like, I have this novel that I've been working on quietly for years. Like, and now I'm just going to hand it off to people. So it was, it was highly overwhelming at the, at the outset. What does that mean to be an English rhetoric major? It essentially means that I was trying to finish college as quickly as possible (laughs) (laughs) because I had also dropped out. I dropped out of college when I was 19 because I was pretty unhappy where I was. And then I got this job as a paralegal at a nonprofit and I ended up staying there for six years. And then it was suddenly like I was 24 and I was like, I should probably finish college. And so I was trying to do it as quickly and cheaply as possible. So credit wise, I just sort of, I was closest to being just sort of a straight English major. So I just took kind of ran the gamut instead of focusing on creative writing or literature. I sort of did dabbled in, in all of them. So yeah, it was, that was a weird few years as well. I know. So what, what is this dropping out of multiple programs, but you made it through Iowa, right? And now you came back to tell. (laughs) Yes. Yes. What is it about those situations that makes you change your mind? I mean, like I tried to drop out of business school, but Everybody convinced me to stay, including the people yeah. at the business school. They like basically wouldn't let me drop out, but I was like, I'm out of here. Okay. I'm done. <laughs> They're like, no, no. How no. far into your program did you want to? Like, how long did you? Well, so probably three months in, but it was during 9 okay. 11 and I had lost a friend and I really didn't want to be in oh. Boston anymore. And I just was like, I can't deal with this. I can't even think straight because, you know, when like you're grieving, it's really hard to focus. Yeah. And I was like surrounded by people who were like super bright and I was already a non-traditional student. You know, I didn't have panic attacks, but I might as well have. I mean, I don't think I spoke for like months on end. <laughs> oh gosh. That sounds horrible. Yeah. Feeling so intimidated and everything, but eventually I came around, but it took, it took a while. So I know that feeling. However, I didn't like pull the trigger and drop out, but now I'm sort of now. So I want to hear like, to, to make it over that finish line twice? Like what gets you there? You know, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think the first time I, I was at a very, very tiny private liberal arts college in rural Illinois, Knox College. And I was just, I had come from a really big high school and a really big family. And I was suddenly just in this tiny town with, you know, in this tiny school. And I was just miserable. And I was also, at the time I was there, this is just sort of a comical happenstantial thing. There were dead crows all over the campus. (laughs) Like, and I still don't know if there was just some mass like crow flu or, but it was this really ominous thing that you would just walk outside and there were like dead birds everywhere, but I was just miserable. That's a really weird story. (laughs) No, that's like, I feel like I'm reading a novel now. This is great. The girl. I know I've tried to write it into a project. It hasn't made it yet, but yeah, that time I think I was just I find the notion of, you know, that that we're supposed to know at 18 what we want to do with our lives is so ludicrous to me. And I, you know, I have friends now who have teenage kids and I'm just like, I have such empathy for being that age and for not knowing what you want to do, because of course you, I mean, some, you know, some people do, and that's, that's great, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was, you know, I had a bunch of ideas that I thought, you know, would be valid career paths or fruitful career paths. And I was 18. And so I didn't know. So I dropped out then just more for, you know, practical reasons. It was a very expensive school. And I knew that I wasn't, you know, taking advantage of it in the way that I I should have been. But when I dropped out of graduate school, I, that was a, also a very financially unsound decision, (laughs) (laughs) but I was, Three months into my degree and my father died very, very suddenly and very unexpectedly. Um, 
And yeah, thank you. And so I, I think, you know, it was, it was horrible for, you know, every, every possible reason, but I think it also made me sort of re-examine what I was doing. And I, you know, my parents were, and are, my mom is very, very supportive of, you know, whatever their kids have wanted to do. And so it wasn't like, I felt like this pressure to finish this degree because of my parents. It was, I was putting pressure on myself, but I think losing my dad, I looked at the world in this different way. Like what is actually, what matters, you know, and what, you know, kind of got me through that year, which, was such it was such a weird year and I had bed bugs twice it was just like a miserable like also in rural Illinois it was not a great time but the thing that kind of kept me sane was working on this book and it was kind of this space that I could retreat into in the evenings and it was you know so I was going to my classes and sort of going through the motions and reading theoretically about all of these psychological concepts and you know all of these theoretical problems that people could have. And I was myself having, you know, actual problems. (laughs) And I found fiction a sort of more fruitful and therapeutic way to work through some of those things. So I remember calling my mom and telling her I was dropping out. And I said, I think I'm going to, you know, apply to MFA programs. And she said, great, like, come on home. She was very, very supportive. And so, yeah, I decided that I would give it a year and that if nothing happened, I would go back. And I knew that I could, you know, my credits would be would be saved. So I knew I could come back if, if it didn't work out. So I applied to, I think, 12 MFA programs. And during that year, I had, I was a nanny for a while. I was a temp. I worked at the National Flute Association, which is probably the weirdest job I've ever had. And I have to clarify that I'm not saying flu, like influenza. I'm talking about like the the woodwind instrument and I'm not a, I'm not a musician. So it was a very strange job. And then I got into Iowa. (laughs) And so it was really, you know, it's not, it's not a a path that I can add, you know, I, I, I wouldn't advise other people to do this. I went into, you know, tons and tons of student loan debt and, not for Iowa, but for my my social work degree. And it was a huge risk, but it, it felt right at the time. And so I think, you know, it's just an example of one of those things that you can't really plan that very fortunately worked out well for me, but just as easily could have, could have not. Oh, can I ask what, what happened to your dad? You don't have to answer. Oh, no. He, uh, no, he had a heart attack. He had had sort of heart problems since I was a, a kid. It was 62, 63 very young, very healthy otherwise. So totally, totally unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. And we were very close. So, and I, you know, in, in a lot of ways, the father in my novel is not my dad, but is sort of a, an homage to two good dads and to, you know, dads who are reverent of, of having daughters. So that was kind of a, you know, my way to work through, work through that. And what are you working on now? I'm working on a, I say a new book. I've been working on it for what feels like a billion years because I started it when, when I was in graduate school. I'm working on another novel that is about uh, marriage. And if, you know, if the most fun we ever had is kind of more of a, you know, pulling the lens back and looking at a whole family, this is sort of delving more deeply into the nuances of, of a marriage. So putting it a little bit more under the microscope. Are you married? Am I allowed to ask that? Um, oh, sure. Yeah. No, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> yes, you're allowed to ask that. I, I am not. That's one no. of those questions you're not allowed to ask people. Aren't you like not allowed to ask? Somebody the other day said it was like not even PC to ask if you had kids or can I even say PC? Anyway, I'm just getting myself into trouble. No. Okay, I'm, I'm done. There's no judgment here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds very interesting. And I feel like, especially this year, a lot of marriages have become highly dissected and thought about intimately. 
as everybody's been yes. you know, stuck inside with their spouses. So. Right, right. Looking more deeply at their marriages than perhaps they want to. Yes, <laughs> yes <laughs> perhaps it's, it's true. Yeah, yeah. So what advice would you have for aspiring authors? You know, my very pat answer that is that sounds really smug and that I don't always follow myself is to just keep writing. Uh, <laughs> so write as much as you can. Try to develop a writing everyday routine if you can. And to read all the time. And I think that sounds so simplistic, but I forget how sort of necessary that is. Like, I think I go through periods of you know, difficulty writing. And I realize in hindsight, it's because I'm not reading enough. I'm not, you know, I'm not being externally stimulated. And I think if you get so deeply into a project that you're just sort of, you've got blinders onto everything else, you're setting yourself up for not great writing possibly. So I try to, I'm usually reading like seven books at once. I've been that way since I was little. I have very sort of, you know, fleeting attention, but reading a lot. What seven books are you reading now? Oh gosh, what am I reading right now? I am rereading a novel by Dan, I never know how to say his last name, Dan Chan, I believe. You Remind Me of Me, which I loved like 10 years ago. So I'm resurrecting that. I just finished My Sister, The Serial Killer. Did you read that? Mm -mm. I loved it. Oh, it was a, yeah, it was really, really fun. It's also this really tiny, like physically tiny book. So it's like the perfect bedtime reading. Oh, I just started We Begin at the End. Have you read that? Chris Whitaker? Yes. Yes, I read that. Yes. I, okay. just had him I, on, hearing... I just had him on the podcast. Oh, cool. Okay. I've heard like, that's the only book I've ever tried to pull strings to get an early copy of. Oh, that's <laughs> and I failed <laughs> because we don't have the same publisher, but I bought it the day it came out, which I also almost never do. So I'm, I'm listening to that as an audiobook and really enjoying it. If you ever are desperate for an early copy of something, just send me email. if you're desperate again for an early copy, oh just like get in touch thank you <laughs> don't you're like you're going to regret saying that <laughs> I, I'm not saying that to everyone listening but I am saying it to you Claire oh thank you <laughs> <laughs> if you need a favor every so often I tend to get a lot of books which is really really exciting sometimes I get multiple Ooh. copies and I don't even know what to do with them I should, so just let me know <laughs> oh great thank you I I'll keep like surfacing. Yes, that's great. Thanks. The one question I really have also is there's so much, like so many people I have on this podcast are in the midst of book publicity craziness, right? It's either right before it starts or right in the middle of it or after it or whatever. And you're just like on this sort of whirlwind of interviews. And then after that, it's like, okay, well that's done, right? Like I can go back to my writing and this and that and the other thing. So here, and I know it's obviously the beginning of your paperback lunch, but after two years, looking back on that whole experience and now being mm-hmm. able to be more perhaps clear-headed about what that whole thing was like and the book and everything, like, what? how do you feel looking back on that? Like, how do you feel like that whole experience even was? And how do you feel about your relationship to the book now, having been through all of that? That's a really good question. I mean, in some ways, I... It's not that I don't remember, but it's it was such a, an overwhelming, like writing a book is such a solitary, lonely often process and you're so deeply in your head. And then suddenly it's like, you're talking to people constantly and having to be on all the time. And I'm, I wouldn't say I'm wholly introverted, but I'm more of an introvert than I am an extrovert. And so I think, you know, part of me was just, you kind of go into this other mode and you get better at it. I think, you know, I shudder to think of some things I said in, in early interviews. So maybe it's good that you and I haven't met it because <laughs> I'm probably slightly more articulate than I, I'm not terribly articulate now, but probably slightly more than I used to be. But it is such a, it's such a different thing. And I think my relationship to the book, I guess I've, I've become 
in some ways I feel closer to it. And in some ways I feel, you know, I can speak about it more objectively because again, you know, right at the outset of, of the book coming out or even, you know, we'd had a lot of pre-pub stuff. I had just finished writing it. So I was really protective of these characters who felt like, you know, sort of real people to me. And I was also kind of just used to being alone in my apartment, never talking to anyone. And, and now, you know, it's kind of like this autonomous thing, not autonomous fully, but it's this thing in the world that has its own legs and its own life. And I think I realized that pretty shortly after the book came out, like you have no control over who's going to read it or what they're going to think. And you're not going, and you know, I remember one of my professors, I don't remember who saying when you're writing, you have to know that like when someone just any, just like, you know, any person in the world is reading your book, you're not going to be next to them being like, but no, you missed that. Or like, pay attention to this, <laughs> you know, so, so it has to kind of speak for itself. So I think, you know, I think my relationship is probably healthier, like less codependent <laughs> with, with the novel now. That being said, I also, I, I forget plot points that I've written. Like there, there are certain times when someone says something and I'm like, did that make it into the book? Like I have to go back and check just because it's been, I haven't read my own book in, you know, a while. Um, so it's hard to remember sometimes it's a long book. So I should read it again before I, before the paperback comes out. I'll add that to my stack. Yeah. You also like feel like a sociopath reading your own book. I don't know if you feel that like, it just seems like a very sort of like masturbatory, like, I don't know. <laughs> At least it's not like on the train or something. We I will just not do it tell anyone. House. You just stay right there and do it. You don't have to tell a soul. Okay. No one will catch you. Maybe you don't do it Thank at a you. restaurant, but but even if you did, that would be like hilarious marketing. That would actually be so funny if right? you, if you had like some sort of like spotting authors in the wild reading their own books and like you know like a ta- <laughs> what was that thing like the Tom not Tamaguchi but the the thing that everybody played that game that like I don't want my kids to play where you have to spot things. Do you know oh, the, the Pokemon game yeah, where people Pokemon would be Go, like, yes, yes. It should be like a Pokemon Go, but it's authors reading their books in public. And like, if you got it, <laughs> you would get like 20 points and like, I don't know. Yeah. You see like a whole thing. Anyway, never mind. My mind is like, totally, totally. <laughs> okay. never mind. We'll pursue this. Yes. We'll <laughs> pursue author Go or something. <laughs> and that will allow you to comfortably read your book without feeling weird. So. Thank you. I appreciate it. Anytime. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Claire, thank you so much for coming on Moms No Time to Read Books and good luck on your next project. And I will try to catch you in the wild reading your own book and we'll see what happens. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thanks for having me. And congrats on the paperback. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Okay. Take care. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 